It's episode 112 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Stephen Davidson. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm pretty good, how are you? I'm very well, I'm very well, very well. We were just talking about how you have been on this podcast more times than anybody apart from Chris Mead and I. It's very exciting and I'm very honoured. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to have you here. And uh, do go back and listen to episode two, where Stephen made his first appearance, and also the uh, reports that he and Ian McNaughton uh, made when they were in Chicago, because they were... If there's one thing I love more than making the Improv London podcast is having other people make the podcasts for me. So it was a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're recently back from Edinburgh. That's true. Uh, yeah, I took two shows up. Uh, Carmen, which is a gender-flipped film noir, and Improbable in the Chapter of Secrets, which is uh, an improvised adventure story sort of loosely based on the world of Harry Potter, uh, but not in a way that might infringe upon the copyright. <laughs> Well, let's, uh, let's talk about Carmen, first of all. So that yeah. started life as a nursery original? It did, yeah. So we started in January this year. Uh, we did an open audition, and we ran a series of shows uh, at the Nursery Theatre, and they were really, really fun and lovely. Um, and the cast wanted to do more, and I wanted to do more, and I feel like it's not a show that exists already, because it's sort of... It's unique, but also something that you can really easily recognize what it is. Mm. If I just say gender flip film noir, you know what it is, yeah. but you've not seen it before. Yeah. And it's really fun to do. Uh, I really, really love it. Was this inspired by the fact that the audience often, when asked for a genre, shout out film noir? <laughs> they do all the time, don't they? Yeah. Um, yes, to, to some extent. And also because um, film noir as a sort of old-timey genre, tends to have really uh, defined gender roles, so it was very easy to do a swap so that the detective is uh, female or non-binary and the, there's an homme fatale and etc. Um, and it was just really fun because those roles are so defined to then flip them. Ah, right. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And how was, uh, how was it? Was, was, it this, was this your first Edinburgh? Uh, yes, it was, yeah. How was it? It was really fun. Uh, it was a lot of work, but I loved it. Um, I feel like it was a very good year broadly for improv. I think every show I've heard of has had a lovely time and good audiences, and we were the same. We were at least half full every day, even in uh, a venue that's a bit out of the way. So I think that bodes well for improv generally and these shows particularly yeah, 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 yeah. cool so were can you talk me about sort of the um the sort of the devising rehearsal process what sort of things were you focusing on when you were getting people you know into the gender flipped film noir mode um so we sort of came at it from a bunch of different angles. Firstly, we looked at just playing the opposite gender from what you identify as. Uh, and we looked at how the roles were constructed and we looked sort of more broadly at the genre, uh, sort of the common tropes of film noir. Um, 
I really wanted the show to be only loosely narrative. Um, so we have a couple of set points in the first scene that we need, so we have enough information to know what the second scene is. But beyond that, there's very little structure to it. So it's very different every time, which I really love. Um, we spent a lot of time on just scene work and acting and connecting. So it, it tends to, on a good day, be a very emotional piece as well. There's all kinds of uh, relationships and blackmail and... Uh, double crossing and it's all very dramatic in a way that I really enjoy. <laughs> cool. And what are those set points that you have to establish in the first scene? Oh, um, we've been doing it as a detective story so we get the suggestion of a case for the detective to solve basically um, and the homme fatale uh, just needs to go to the detective, tell them the case and perhaps in the course of that scene we suggest the names of a couple other people who might be involved, just yeah, so yeah. that then uh, we can cut to those people in a different location. And usually, after those first couple of scenes, it's completely obvious what the next handful of scenes could be, and we just pick whatever we most want to see. So, are you t are the scenes that you're playing after the first scenes mm -hmm. flashbacks? No, they can be, but they're mostly, uh, meanwhile, in this location, or the next sort of narrative point of that. So if the detective has said they'll go and do something, at some point we'll probably see them doing it. Right, okay. Yeah. So would you see the detective and the, what did you call the? Homme fatale. The homme fatale. Would you see them then investigating the case? Um, we'll often see the detective at some point investigating the case. Uh, sometimes they're in every other scene, sometimes they're in two in the whole show. just depends what's really fun. Mm. We've had a lot of shows where the the bad person's uh, henchwomen are just hilarious, and we just keep seeing them <laughs> dicking about being bad at being henchwomen. Uh, or being really good at it and evil, and those are both really fun choices. Yeah. It's just that um, I've made a connection because I'm in the old bill, an improvised post-Brexit police drama, mm -hmm. and we also do a lot of crime. Mm -hmm. And we also, uh, well, when we start, we find out uh, what the, um, the MO of the murderer was, an object that they left behind at the scene of the crime, and then what name the, tabloid has, the tabloids have created for it. And we've kind of experimented with, do we actually see the murder? Um, and uh, how that works. So I was wondering if, um, you know, there'd been a crime, would you then flash back to see the crime being committed, or do you just sort of do the investigating? No, we do the investigating. Uh, often more crimes are committed throughout the course. <laughs> um, but one of the things I love about film noir as a genre is that uh, even in movies that they've taken all kinds of time to write the scripts for, uh, the plot almost never makes perfect sense. Yes. So it's kind of ripe for the improv picking in a way. <laughs> yes, I think Farewell My Lovely in particular, um, it's a great film, but it's like if you're trying to actually follow the plot, it's like, yeah, you can sort of work it out, we can fill in the gaps, much like you would with an improv show, yeah. Yeah. Cool, that sounds great. Another plans to do more? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We're planning to do more in 2019. Cool, excellent. Well, we should look forward to that. Uh, the other second show you mentioned was Improbable and the Chapter of Secrets. Now, 
Harry Potter, having a Harry Potter show, that's quite a common thing at the moment in the improv world. It's true. It's true. Um, yes. I think ours is a little bit different because we don't use characters from Harry Potter. Um, so it's very much in the world of, but not using them. So there's cheeky references, like maybe the hero ends up with a scar on their forehead through some means. Um, <laughs> But it's mostly just, uh, it gives us a world to play in where magic is real, and that's really fun. So it's it's structured as a hero's journey, which is a sort of classic adventure story structure that we've uh, worked on a bit. Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, we have a made-up story about a bad person that we do as a storybook, which is a game that we invented where... Uh, one person goes out of the room, we make up an eight-point story. Right. And then they have to come back in and guess the eight-point story. So we do it as, oh. like, pages of a book that we're uh, acting out. Wow. It's really fun. And then, so the bad person in that story is our villain. Oh, right. And then at some point at the end of the story, we meet them again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we do a sort of everyday life. Somebody touches a port key. They're in a magical world, and they go on an adventure, and eventually defeat or reform that villain. Cool. So that yeah. sounds like it's a little bit more narrative than Carmen? It's, yeah, it's a much more tightly structured narrative. It mm. uh, most of the time follows the hero's journey structure pretty well. It's flexible enough that if it doesn't, um, it still works out in a really nice way, but we spent quite a long time drilling that format just to get it into our bones so that we can be flexible with it yes. but still have it tie up nicely at the end cool and when you're performing that are you asking for a suggestion at the beginning we ask for suggestions throughout oh really yeah so we get a suggestion of a fear for our eight point story at the beginning That's so nice. the villain becomes villainous through a fear of something usually because ah. um, we're all humans aren't we Nobody just wants to be evil. <laughs> or maybe they do. I don't know. I've not taken a thorough survey. But I, I feel like most people think they're the good guy. Do you know what I mean? Yes, one would hope so, sir. So. <laughs> um, and then we get a suggestion of uh, an unusual object for the port key to be. Uh, there's usually other items that we just incorporate throughout. Uh, we get uh, an inspiring motto, and that turns oh, out to be, nice. you know, the thing that the hero tells themselves as they're <laughs> defeating <laughs> the, the bad person, um, and usually sort of is how they defeat them. And we get suggestions of animals, uh, so the sort of bad wizard will often have a henchman, and we want them to be a weird magical creature, so we get a suggestion of two different animals and to smush them together. Ah, that's lovely. Yeah, it's really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what sort of what sort of scenarios have you played out? What sort of what was? Can you remember a particularly fun show? Oh gosh, I think the thing I remember about shows after that were really fun is uh, characters. Uh, much like the side people in Carmen, the henchwomen, I feel like <laughs> the things that stick out are just particularly weird animal combinations or like some trees having a conversation that we just kept going back to because they were fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. I feel like if, if a show's worked really well, it's not the structure or the story that you remember. It's the, yeah. the people that yeah. were in it. Yeah, I think people... Well, if, they, if people remember a show at all, they'll remember it if it didn't 
make any sense. Yeah. But as long as it makes 65% sense, yeah. <laughs> then, you know, it doesn't really matter if it doesn't, you know. No, not at all. The structure is just there to sort of hang your scenes and characters on. Yeah. <laughs> So how long were you up for? Well, how long were you up in Edinburgh for? Just a week. Right. Okay. So it wasn't too long to get too overwhelming. No, I. Uh, there's people in both casts who have real day jobs. <laughs> right. Fair which enough. Which is ever a consideration, and just financially, oh, going up for that whole month is a big commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, they both went really well, though. So I'm hoping to do two weeks next year. I mean, I think it's yeah. great just to you know just be on there, just be. Putting yeah. on a show at all for any amount of time, I think it's brilliant. <laughs> I was just thinking about all the stories you hear about people who have been performing for longer and sort of the the effects that you know performing yeah. <laughs> and being in Edinburgh and all that has on you. So I was yeah. just <laughs> uh, well, one of the benefits of these two shows was the Improbable show was on at ten forty five in the morning, right? And Carmen was on at ten fifteen in the evening, right? So there wasn't really a big enough chunk of time to go out and get really really drunk or <laughs> like because you have a morning show yeah, yeah you can't yeah. stay out for four hours after your evening show right. um so kind of uh, i was obliged to pace myself well which was nice which is a good thing um so do you have any advice for anyone that's thinking of taking up a improv show or indeed any show to edinburgh anything that you've learned that you can pass on to um I would say definitely go up with a group if it's your first time because everyone who was there with people that they liked was having a lovely time of it, <laughs> as far as I could tell. Um, <laughs> the only people who seemed really sad were people who'd taken up solo shows and weren't having great audiences. Uh, right, yes. And if you go up all by yourself and then there's nobody, <laughs> you're just there in a room by yourself or with one stranger who's kind of looking at you like, really, this is it? <laughs> Um, and I feel like if it's your first time, that's probably a bit much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, that's so, yeah. my advice. Go yeah. with people you like. Yeah. And then at least you've got them <laughs> yeah. if nobody turns up. You'll have so. a lovely time anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> so this was um, Improbable. And what's your role in Improbable? Uh, I'm the artistic director. Cool. Excellent. So uh, tell me about Improbable. Um, well, uh, so we've been a group for, I think, five years now. We formed out of a class, like lots of people do. Um, and but, we, di but what's different is that you've actually stuck together for five years. I know, years. So I know. Many classes form after, say, a Hoopla class yeah. or like that. They don't always <laughs> last for five later. years. Yeah, no. you know. And that's fine, because I think sometimes <laughs> there's, there's a it's reason. It's not meant to be. Yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, they've had a lovely six months and then they'll go on. Because you can't be in a group with everybody from your Hoopla class, because you just can't work with everybody. No. Uh, we've been fortunate that uh, we've all just become really good friends and I think that goes such a long way towards uh, the endurability of a group and their watchability on stage to be honest you can really tell if people like and trust each other yeah. and if they don't <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you uh, started off doing short form we did yeah we were purely a short form group for the first couple of years um, and we still do short form a lot. It's uh, incorporated into our long form show in the form of a guessing game and every once in a while things will come up like monsters that speak one word at a time and they have three heads or <laughs> just dumb stuff like that and taking lots of suggestions and being sort of big and exciting I think um, 
Yeah, I, I have a deep and abiding love of short form because it's fun and because audiences kind of get it in yes. a way that if they've never seen improv before, I think a lot of long form is less accessible. Yes. Because um, although they won't get the sort of nuances of the improvised scene work if you explain the alphabet game everyone in the audience kind of feels like they're on board for it um yeah so i really like that um so when you were doing short form you were also creating your own games as well yeah yeah um so we made up a bunch of new games including this storybook guessing game that we sometimes just do independently of the show because it's really fun um it always gets a laugh and it's kind of it's a game that other people don't do, so Can you talk, talk me through, because you sort of mentioned it, can you talk me through how that game works? Sure. Um, so it's an eight-point story structure, um, which people who do narrative uh, improv will be familiar with. So it's uh, once upon a time, yada, 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 and every day, yada, 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 until one day, yada, 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 yada. Uh, and because of that, and because of that, and because of that, until finally, and ever since then. So... Uh, each sort of plot point starts with those and then you fill in the rest. Um, yeah. And it sort of, it works quite well as a little self-contained story. So we send somebody out of the room, we get a suggestion in the show of a fear or just doing it by itself will take any word. We make up a story, uh, with eight points and then the person comes in and we sort of make a little storybook shape with the the three of us who are left and they so how does that i don't realize this is an audio video how do you how do you make a storybook shape out of three people well sort of one of you's like the spine and then the other two come in in front and you're like the pages oh right okay right? Yes. yes so then the narrator comes in and opens the book and we all kind of spin like oh, pages right, okay. turning it's it's a whole coordinated yeah you'll, you'll have to uh, you'll have to go and see improbable uh, to uh, to see how this works cause... yes i recommend coming and seeing us <laughs> Um, but just walk out of that point. Yeah. yeah, and then it's like it's kind of like in Harry Potter where the pictures move, so we can't ah. say anything, but we act out each plot point, and ah. the person who's come in has to sort of guess what the story was. Oh, that's brilliant! Yeah, it's very pleasing. <laughs> yeah. oh, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, another short form game that I really liked was Pokemon based. Oh yeah, we did have a Pokemon game for a while. <laughs> Explain to me how that worked because I enjoyed it and I think maybe I understood it at the time although maybe I didn't. I just enjoyed it anyway. Can you explain how that one worked? Oh gosh, it's been a long time since we played that. Um, Bring it back. It was basically a sort of inventing stupid characters game where we'd get suggestions of uh, kind of like the um, hench people in chapter of secrets where we smush two animals together we get animals and uh, objects and qualities and we just invent pokemon throw them in other character other actors would jump in to be that like weird creature and then they'd fight <laughs> it was incredibly stupid but really fun i really really i really loved it and i think i saw it a few times but there was one hoopla launch pad and i love the hoopla launch pads i think they're amazing but sometimes when you see so many long-form groups, it just gets to be too much. And I think you yeah. lot came on, and that was one of the games you played. And I thought, oh, do you know what? I just love short-form. And please, can we just have a couple of short-form acts? Because I just want to have a bit of a laugh and just enjoy yeah. myself for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a shame more people don't do short-form, because I think it's sort of widely viewed as 
the thing you do as a beginner before you're good enough for long form. Mm. But actually, I think it's sort of people see it like that because once they get good at scene work, they don't go back to short form. So we we get very used to seeing short form improv that has really mm. poor scene work in it. Right. So we kind of think that as a uh, entity, it's a bit crap, but yes. it's not. People just aren't doing it well because yes. once they get good at improv, they move on. Yes. So what we're doing is we're seeing a lot of beginners, you know, yeah. who, who have to go through the stage because they're beginners, yeah. and that's great. So yeah. So if more experienced people, yeah, that grasped scene work, then went yeah. back and did it, it would be at a whole another level sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the two sort of practices feed each other a lot because if you're properly good at scene work, you'll do much better short form. Yeah. But also, if you're properly good at short form things like being fast off the mark and uh, making stupid characters and just like jumping in with no particular thought about where this scene is going, yeah, yeah, yeah. it can also make long form more exciting as well. Yeah. And also, if you have a good grounding in short form, like you do, um, you could, uh, you know, you can drop in. You know, you can end up having a three-headed expert. And yeah. that's just a really fun thing. And just a little bit of a game within the wider thing is a really beautiful thing to do. So Yeah, it's a nice common vocabulary to have. So how did you... Um, when did you sort of decide to move from just doing purely short form to sort of doing long form? Um, we've got a bunch of people in the group who are actory types yeah. and wanted to do more just grounded scene work. Um, and yeah, we just sort of wanted to keep growing as a group, really, and we'd sort of exhausted extant short-form games and made up a bunch of our own and just sort of thought, well, all right, let's do more. What else is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we tried lots of formats over the years. We've made up our own formats. Um, something that we still do quite a lot of is the living room, which I feel like is a really a uh, nice sort of bridge piece between long and short form because you kind of get the the conversational element that ties it all together but there's a lot of just jumping up for quick yeah. one-liners and tag runs and just dumb stuff like that. I really like the living room as a format. I really like you know the way you sit on one side of the stage and then you have a conversation as real people because actually that can be just fascinating in itself. I know, right? Even without doing any scenes, just having people listening to people just have a real conversation and being able to watch their sort of interactions and their friendships and all that sort of thing. Um, and then when when you do see people get up and run to the other side of the stage to do scenes, that can be, it's a really nice editing kind of process. And yeah, as you say, when you just get up and someone just does one line and then sits down again, that can just be hilarious. Yeah, I, I really love the conversational aspect of it actually. And I could sit and watch that for ages um, because we all know each other really well and have sort of heard each other's stories. When we do the living room, we always get an audience member to come join us for oh, the really? conversational That's part. And sometimes they jump into the improv as well, which is <laughs> fine. <laughs> you don't go, no, you're only required for the conversation parts. We, we will do the acting. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just, it's fascinating the sort of random things that they come out with as just part of their everyday life <laughs> that are just so different and interesting, like just casually mentioning, oh, the the baby monkey I adopted after that hurricane or just some random thing like that. Um, yeah, and I just, 
I love hearing people's stories. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as do I, which is one of the reasons I do a podcast. <laughs> I see what you did. <laughs> that and the great big empty void that is at the centre of my existence that I'm constantly trying to fill. Um, <laughs> I'd say join the club, but this is, this is the club. We're improvisers. <laughs> We're in the club. Uh, uh, so improbable um, you have uh, quite an international cast many people who have English not as their first language true that's exciting it's really exciting yeah I think we get so many just free gifts from having different language bases um, that I just I constantly enjoy Um, the opportunity to mishear or misunderstand something in a way that's almost always funnier than the original intent <laughs> it makes me very happy um, and I think it means that we by and large are a more physical group than most because right. it's a very universal language yes. so that's nice it also makes the living rooms and etc much more interesting because people are from different cultural backgrounds that have all kinds of different stories that I just would not occur to me so it's really pleasing I love that hooray uh, you're also in the verbs I am yeah tell me about the verbs uh, so the <laughs> verbs is a musical group uh, we weren't always a musical group we were a sort of freeform team for a while and then we were doing heralds for a while and then at some point we just sort of hit this spot where we thought yeah alright I get this fine um, and we just sort of looked around at each other and almost everybody in the group was a musical improviser, but not in a musical group at that time. And we just kind of decided that we'd like to be a musical group. Um, Yeah, it was the best decision we've made because uh, the energy is really taken off in a really fun way. It's uh, big and loud and stupid and really supportive in a way that I just love. Um, It suddenly, became more challenging, more exciting. There's a big adrenaline rush when you have to sing at a certain point, uh, which we all love. Uh, there was one member who was away when we made that decision and like didn't come back for about a month and we just sort of casually said, oh, it's a musical group now. <laughs> and he thought we were joking until after about three <laughs> musical rehearsals had gone by. <laughs> it was very pleasing. Cool. So who are you working with as an accompanist at the moment? Uh, We have the gorgeous Brendan Dowes, who is an improviser as well and a jazz pianist as his day job. Wow. So he, yeah, he's very, very on it. He's also basically a human jukebox. When we play Hotspot, he'll just jump in and play every single song. Wow. There have been very, very few that he's not known. That's amazing. It's just... A, such a luxury. He's very, very good. And uh, what what format what format are you performing at the moment? Um, we perform a Golden Gate, which is wow. uh, I've not heard of that. We invented it. Yay! <laughs> uh, so we were doing a deconstruction for a long time, but we were getting explain what a deconstruction is because I've already kind of grasped it myself. <laughs> okay. Um. So a deconstruction. <laughs> Uh, There are lots of variations on it, but the one we were doing is you start with a bass scene, which um, kind of performs the same function as an opening or a monologue. So it's the thing that you 
take inspiration from for the next scenes. So you get a base scene, then you have three scenes that are sort of thematically inspired by that, then you go back to the base scene, and you have three scenes that are sort of in the world of those people, and then you go back to the base scene again, and then you do a run, and you can choose to go back to the base scene a fourth time or not, as you like. Um, so it's a great format. We really, we love it because it sort of a bit lends itself to narrative because of the world of stuff, but it's really not narrative. Um, and the base scene kind of lends itself to the, I would say, connected, grounded uh, scene work that we love to do. Um, but to do a musical decon takes a good 45 minutes, and we're because it's London, and you get if you're lucky, half an hour on most nights. Uh, it just, there wasn't quite enough room, so we truncated it uh, to a form that we're calling the Golden Gate. Um, so it's a base scene, three world of scenes, another base scene, and then the music from the second base scene just kind of carries on as we have a quick run, ah. uh, making it effectively a very long bridge, hence ah. the name. And then we do a group number at the end that uses that same music. Oh, wow, that sounds cool. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> and are you, um, are you coaching the team? Are you having coaches come in? or No, we're having coaches come in, and when there's no coach, we take turns rehearsal captaining. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love directing and coaching, but I think it's really important not to be in charge of everything yeah, you're in. I think that's a wise so word. I've very, very consciously not taken more than my fair share of rehearsal captaining, and I really try not to. Just because I'm one of the people who's been in the group the longest, and because I work at the nursery where the group rehearses, I just, it would so, it would be so easily, <laughs> easy for me to just gradually end up in a position of authority, but I'm consciously not. I really don't want to. Um, and I'm not the world's best singer anyway, so I should not be in charge of a musical group for so many reasons. Cool, excellent. Uh, what, are the, what are the plans for the verbs, the future, the future plans? Uh, we've got some gigs coming up in the autumn. Uh, definitely like us on Facebook to Brilliant. learn all about that. <laughs> Use the internet. <laughs> Likewise with Improbable and uh, Carmen. <laughs> yes. Yes, all the things we talk about, we encourage you to look them up and <laughs> like and subscribe and review and all those other things. Yeah. And while you're there, why not like, subscribe or review to the Improv London podcast on SoundCloud, uh, uh, all the other places you can find it. Most of the places, it's on there. <laughs> I'm not really good at this side of things, am I? <laughs> this doesn't feel natural. You're great at it. You have stickers and everything. I do have stickers, I'm already yes. liked and subscribed. Oh, but that's, that's very good. Hooray. <laughs> yes, uh, I have stickers. Uh, if you meet me in, re in reality, uh, I will give you a sticker. Uh, that's, that's the Improv London podcast promise, unless I've run out or I've forgotten them. <laughs> um, you're also a member of the happiest people in the world. I am, that's true. Um, so that's a bit of a boast. Well, <laughs> I challenge you to meet us and try to <laughs> deny that claim. That is a strong <laughs> opening argument. <laughs> um, so it's a two-prov with uh, Eric Castellan, and we just do usually a free-form improv set. Um, it's 
like lots of things I do, has lots of uh, grounded scene work and connection, and also quite a lot of just dicking about being stupid, which to me is the two things that I need in improv. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's lovely. We travel to perform a lot, which is great, and so much easier to do with two people than with four or eight. Um, so this year we performed in uh, Oslo and Reykjavik, and yeah, as ever, uh, we'll get around. What was like it? us on Facebook, too. <laughs> I think they're getting the message. Yeah, I, think, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I know. I'm, <laughs> no, I don't, I'm shameless. Well, it's, it's strange when you're ever watching a video on YouTube and people go, like and subscribe and review, and I'm like, oh, no, I had never thought of doing that before. <laughs> I, somehow I really enjoyed this video, but I did not know how to show my appreciation. Oh, thank God they told me. It's true. I think on YouTube, though, I, I think I do like more often if they say to because it's oh, really yeah because it doesn't occur to me i'm just sort of minding my own business <laughs> do you know what i mean i forget yeah. to interact in that way oh i see oh yeah. well, okay maybe i should start doing that then have you forgotten to interact with the improv london podcast <laughs> <laughs> why not like subscribe or review <laughs> uh, that'd be great thanks uh <laughs> Um, yeah, so what did you, um, did you uh, learn anything by um, improvising in other countries? Is there anything you picked up? Any kind of thing you'd like to say about those experiences? Um, I think it's just, it's fascinating to see how people from different countries play, really. Um, a lot of European countries have lots and lots of short form, which I love. Um, and it's just, I don't have any particular, like, words of wisdom that I've gleaned. But it's fascinating. I warmly recommend getting out there. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's cool that we're all different. Yes. And yet, all the same, too. Yeah. There are more things that unite us than divide us. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> cool. Um, I don't have any other questions about the happiest people in the world. I just think brilliant. Great. <laughs> Um, thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to say about them? No, I just really, I like doing it. And Eric is lovely to play with. It's really nice. Um, it's really nice working with just one other person. Mm. Uh, because you get uh, more control and more stage time. And you have to do more, but actually there are fewer people to listen to. There's that. I really like, um, because I've done a few two pros, and I really like that each sort of iteration of two people develops a very unique vocabulary. Yeah. And sort of after a handful of rehearsals, you find there's sort of a, a natural resting place for your two styles combined. Yeah. And it, there's more room with just two people for that to be a bit left of center, if that's the thing. Like maybe you have this one particular thing in common yes. that you both really like. Um, and it's nice to be able to do that without sort of being subsumed by the group mind of ten other people, mm. which tends to always stay a bit more central and average and yes. kind of, here's what we do in London, kind of mm. uh, neutral zone mm. stuff. Yes, I think it is. It's like having that sort of average where everything gets a little bit averaged uh, out. So what's the natural resting place for you and Eric then? Um, I think we're 
very silly, <laughs> but also very emotionally literate, which I is a weird combination, it feels like. It's a good combination. Yeah. I'd like to see more improv like that. <laughs> Um, what's it like working at the nursery? What do you do at the nursery? Um, I manage the nursery training centre um, and I teach her as well. So it's great. Uh, I love it. There's all kinds of interesting <laughs> people around all the time. Uh, I feel like I know a lot of what's going on just because I happen to be here a lot. I yeah. see all kinds of classes and rehearsals and it, yeah, I just really like it. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, if you didn't. <laughs> We should probably have a conversation off podcast. <laughs> I mean, you know, and you wanted to turn to me, I'd be happy to be there for you. But I feel that would be a weird. It's like, well, let me leave. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm glad it's going well. I'm glad you're enjoying Living the it. dream, working in an improv theatre. <laughs> um, you're also uh, talking of doing some teaching at the nursery. You've got a couple of interesting workshops coming up. I invite you to talk about those. <laughs> Great. Um, <laughs> Cool. So I've got, um, on September 30th, a workshop called Play Like an Ally, which is about um, increasing diversity and working on uh, sort of inclusion generally in uh, the improv scene. So it's, um, it's about how to play in such a way that uh, anyone playing with you will feel uh, heard and like they're a genius and a lot of it is to be honest just being a good improviser in that you need to pay attention and manage sort of stage time and things like that um, but I've sort of cherry-picked a handful of exercises that really push in that direction so there's a few things about um, managing stage time which I think as soon as you say managing stage time, people imagine that they'll be told to just stand on the side if they've been in too much. But I think it's important um, to sort of actively reach out to include people who haven't been in a lot rather than just sort of standing about on the side and hoping they'll go in if you don't. Because there's that sort of phenomenon of empty stage that... Um, we just, oh, we don't want that, do we? And the more front-footed you are, the more you probably feel when the stage is empty, something has gone drastically wrong. Do you know what mm. I mean? Um, but I think you can be really front-footed just with a little radar of, oh, this person hasn't been in in a couple of scenes. Mm. I'm going to sort of beckon them in with me and think of something to do with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if somebody hasn't been in for a long time uh, and they are finally in leave them there for a while, maybe tag the other person out and do another scene with them. Yeah. So you're um, actively encouraging that without sort of standing about on the side. So there's a few exercises about that. There's a few about um, sort of steamrolling, which I think is a thing that happens really quite a lot to everybody. Um, steamrolling is when you go into a scene and the other person just puts so much into it that you're lucky if you get a word in edgewise and you kind of just end up playing the scene that they want to play. Um, which is not inherently awful if it happens once in a while. But I think definitely some people just do it a bit chronically. Right, yeah, and yeah. or feel chronically like they're the person that gets talked over. So there's a few sort of tools about... Um, 
parallel initiations. So you both start with something and um, bringing something in later as a pivot in the scene if you didn't get that much in off the top. Um, and a couple of exercises about uh, talking a lot, talking not very much, or leaving a scene and just leaving other people to it, which um, is super counterintuitive, but actually works really well sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when you're leaving a scene, and you're not just leaving a scene because you don't want to be involved in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so particularly if there are three people in a scene, I love to just have, I just pick the person who tends to talk the most, tell them you get one line, and then you leave. <laughs> They pick their words much more carefully than normally, yeah. and the other two people are sort of left to deal with the aftermath of that. It kind of, it provides a lot of information at the top without um, imposing anything, which is really nice. I like that. Um, my other favorite exercise for that is to have three people on stage just sort of sat in a row, like they're at a doctor's office in a waiting room or an airport or something, and I tell the person in the middle that they're not allowed to speak, but they are in the scene. Yeah. And then the person, people on either side are um, trying to flirt with each other or they're a couple breaking up. So it's immediately awkward and funny. Oh, that's nice. But I really like that exercise, firstly, because the person in the middle, if they're usually very chatty, <laughs> talking <laughs> over people, they get to experience not doing that and just see like, oh, hey, that was fun also. And because if players don't get a word in edgewise in a scene, sometimes they'll feel like they've sort of failed at that scene because they weren't more pushy. And it's nice to see from the outside, the person in the middle who isn't talking but is reacting to this is almost certainly the person that you're looking at the most because yeah. that's the interesting thing in the scene. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice to just also reassure people who might not always get a word in edgewise because they're not super aggressive that their presence is still yeah. helpful and valued. Yeah, that's certainly something I've been uh, um, in uh, investigating, exploring, is especially in jams, which I think everything you've talked talk, talk about here is even more relevant to jams. Oh yeah. Um, that if there's already two or three people and they're all talking, I just won't talk. I will try and you know react and support, and because. The scene does not need more people talking. No. <laughs> and it certainly doesn't need, you know, doesn't need, whether it's me or anybody else. It's like, we've got too many people already talking. Let's not add to the noise. But if you can just, you know, react and be in the scene, then that's, that can be a really fun thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an undervalued skill. <laughs> yeah. Especially, yeah, especially in, in jams where people are not performing with people that they know necessarily. And, you know, they're just desperate to get out there and do something but uh, with the uh, stage time thing I've got to the stage where I'm beyond the sort of blind panic of performing the jam and I am a little bit more able now to be aware of who hasn't been in a scene and then try and bring them in um, it, it, it's also really helpful because it kind of it gives me if I'm going on stage with nothing but but I've made a choice to bring that person in, that kind of gives me something to work with. Yeah. So I'm not working from a completely blank canvas. I've like, okay, so I'm looking at that person and I'm trying to work out, okay, what would you know, what would delight them, what would you know, what fun thing could we do? Sort of yeah. So it's a helpful thing to do. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
And I think audiences respond really positively to that、mm. because、um, if you think about group warm ups that we do all the time, where you're、uh, passing something over to somebody else, like just pointing or、uh, throwing something, if you like warm ups like that.、Um, We will sort of naturally clock who hasn't been、yeah. and give it to them,、yeah. just as a sort of baseline human approach. But the second you get on stage and you're thinking about ten other things, that just kind of goes off to the side somewhere.、Yeah. But the audience isn't under any pressure,、yeah. and they notice. They、yeah. think, "Oh man, that person hasn't been in the whole time." Yeah.、Um, and they they feel for them. They want to see what they have to say. Yeah. And if there's somebody in the show who's been in every other scene, even if they were great, the audience yeah, starts like, to think, "Come on, buddy." Yeah. No, we've all seen enough of you. It's like,、oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 It's really interesting. Yes, I haven't even thought about it from the audience's perspective, but yes, you're right. They are. Yeah, they're watching it from a position of not stress, and you know, yes.、Mm. Interesting things to think about. <laughs> um, and you're also doing a workshop on playing different genders. I am, yeah.、Um, so it's it grew a little bit out of just the rehearsal process for Carmen and、um, helping actors to play the sort of the functions of the roles without necessarily bringing all the gendered behavior in. So, for example, the detective has a lot of、um, characteristics that are often gendered male, but don't necessarily need to be.、Mm. Um, So for that workshop, we look at there's a little bit of the physical embodiment of different genders, but it's more about、um, skill sets, point of view, and、uh, sort of functionality within a scene. So being、uh, emotionally intelligent and being really forceful and getting your point across, and just sort of things like that. That if you thought about it, you'd think, oh yeah. Women are usually better at that, but actually, we should all be good at that. Yeah, both, yeah, yeah. both of those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.、Um, at this point in our lives as improvisers,、um, yeah. At, there's one exercise that I love and do all the time that I did in Carmen when I was、um, trying to teach people to flirt, which sounds easy, but actually,、um, so the. Stereotypical femme fatale in、uh, film noir, they're flirting very much to get something,、uh, so that's their that's their position and that's their tool that they have to use at this point in the world is they're attractive and they know it, and we work with what we have, so they they flirt their way into. Usually something nefarious. They're almost never on the up and up, are they? <laughs>、um, So the exercise is: I have one improviser, and I give them a goal, something that they have to ask the other improviser to do.、Um, something really simple, like,、uh, "Could you please just jump up and down once?"、Um, and their whole goal in the scene is just to endear themselves to the other person to the point that if they asked, the other person would happily just do it. Yeah, yeah.、Um, and it's. Surprising how difficult it is, particularly for men, just because that's not a skill set that you tend to need to learn. Right. But it's actually really useful in improv <laughs> to be able to endear yourself to somebody, and also to sort of hide the knife. Because I find a lot of people, 
when they know what the goal is, that's all they can see. Yeah. So there's like, there ends up being an elaborate scene about uh, bunny rabbits and pogo sticks and like trying to manipulate into this. Um, Sorry, I've just placed my head on the table in despair. I mean, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying I wouldn't be equally as guilty of this, but you know. Yeah, so um, it tends, it's, it's very um, skill-based, which I think is important because, I mean, in 2018, we're probably not super hung up, I hope, about gender in any sort of restrictive way. Like, I hope anybody would be happy to have a go at playing any gender and not feel like uh, they'd surrendered their status or anything, or like they didn't belong doing that. Um, but I think just because of the way that we're brought up and exist in society, we don't always just develop those skill sets. Yeah. And I think they're really useful. So um, there's a lot of just emotional intelligence in it and a lot of, yeah, being entitled to be there and take up space, right. which is also a really valuable skill that not everyone gets. Yeah. Um, and also just a little bit of straight-up physical skills. So I have people pick a physical skill that they're good at and show everyone else how to mime it. So something like oh, that's fun. how to do object work knitting or yeah, how yeah. to pretend you're fixing a car convincingly, yeah. which, again, it's a really nice example of skill sets that are often gendered but really needn't be. Mm. But if you're if you grew up male, you're more likely to have had somebody show you this and likewise if you grew up female maybe somebody taught you how to sew at some point hmm. um but if you're playing a character doing that it's it's just nice to be able to confidently thread yeah. a sewing machine or um you know do a bolt up or Stephen is doing all the actions confidently <laughs> for all these actions uh so sadly because this is an audio format you will miss out on yeah so the skill set when you're um, using uh, when you're using your skills to endear yourself to somebody. Yeah. What what things have you seen people do? What were successful? What were perhaps less successful? <laughs> um, I think most people who are not successful at that just aren't used to having to do that because if they want something, they just say. I want this. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the person doing the exercise, the yeah. person that um, they're trying to get the, to do the thing, they don't know what the thing is. No. Okay. Although often it's easily guessable because <laughs> the person trying to endear themselves just doesn't quite get what that is and thinks, ah, oh, I have two minutes to manipulate this player into doing this thing. Yeah. Um, or to just, like, force it. Like, they'll ask and get a no, and then just ask again and get a no. And it's it's, it's a very useful litmus test, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so how have they... How have they what, was, what was the successful approach? Um, the successful approach is just to play a normal scene being a lovely human being, maybe give the person a compliment, you know, uh, if you're feeling ambitious, just a gentle touch on the shoulder or uh, just smiling a lot, just be, <laughs> being a nice person for a couple of minutes, I mean, which I'm sure shouldn't we can, be difficult. I'm sure we but, can all pretend oh to be that. <laughs> um, and then just asking nicely. Yeah, yeah. And I think 
they're, they're really useful improv skills in that are, number one, uh, hiding the knife. So if you have a clever idea, keep it to yourself until the best time to say it. Right, yes. Um, which, that's, and that's hard. It is hard, it isn't is it? It is hard. That is a skill that you can practice and I think you can learn, but it's not yeah. something that comes naturally to you. So no. It's like, I've got an idea, I'm yeah. going to say it now, because if I don't, uh, it won't work, or I'll forget it, or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think just going on stage and consciously being nice and likable and relatable uh, is easier for some people than others. And so there's no time like the present to practice that because you can learn any skill. It is just a skill. Um, But it's nice to draw our attention to that because we want people to want to watch us and to want to play with us. And yeah, it's a performance-based thing. I mean, I have had fun being horrible on stage because it's not my natural default setting. Normally I would go on in quite a smiley kind of like, you know, what I'd hope would be a pleasant way. Because you're a good improviser, you can do both. (laughs) (laughs) I think no tool is the right tool for every occasion. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So like with the gender workshop, it's more about adding more tools to your tool belt that's all yeah that sounds great uh and you're also you're going on a world tour is that how you described it to me (laughs) have i remembered that correctly have i hidden the knife long enough so yeah i'm going to new zealand uh a couple towns in australia um Japan and Singapore to teach and uh, to direct a format that I've invented called The Protest, which is an improvised protest march. Wow. Um, So I'm doing that at a couple of improv festivals and also just for companies uh, in various towns that want um, to do it. So the the two workshops I've mentioned are by and large the ones that uh, I get picked up to do because other people don't do them. yeah, so I'm uh, heading about to teach those. Can you give us a, a few clues as to the content of the improvised protest march? Or shall I guess? <laughs> I imagine that you go out in the street and uh, everybody else has to mirror everybody else and then the <laughs> thing you're protesting about uh, arises organically. Possibly. Um, <laughs> not a bad guess. You can have that idea guess. for free. That's because it was um, terrible. <laughs> Uh, we'll do it in a theatre just so it's, you know, uh, an event. Um, it's quite like uh, the living room in structure, actually, where you have uh, real conversations and then scenes inspired by those. Um, we'll get a suggestion of the thing that we're protesting, which might be something stupid and lighthearted or might be an actual issue. We'll see. Um, we talk about how it affects us, how it might affect us. We do scenes based on that, but then we also have um, we'll have a guitar player and do some like improvised protest songs Excellent. to break it up. Um, and we'll have a sort of rewritable sign, so a whiteboard on a stick. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And we'll uh, every sign at least two people have to contribute to. So it'll probably be somebody draws a picture and then somebody else does a caption. Ah, nice. And then as an edit or just for fun. They can hold it up and start chanting and everyone will join in. Just whatever stupid thing they've written down, which I think is really fun. That sounds great. Well, great. Well, uh, good luck taking this message around the world. Oh, thank you. Um, So, um, what's the best or worst note you've ever been given and did you follow it? Oh, gosh. 
Um, or, or what's the best or worst note you've given somebody else? That's made it harder, hasn't it? <laughs> uh, they all just kind of run together in my what's brain. What's the note that you give I most think, often? Oh, that's that's much easier. I think, particularly in the beginning, agreement is just something that you have to note again and again and again. And I always make a point of saying, whenever I teach as well at the beginning, not to pick anyone up or jump on anybody or grab anything squishy, which I... You shouldn't have to tell people that, but they just do it constantly. They get excited, and particularly if they're, like, young and strong, they're like, oh, I'm excited, I'm going to pick someone up. Uh, and, uh, and squishy can be both <laughs> physical and emotional. It can, yes. I love that. No, that's a very good description. I love that very much. Yeah. Um, yeah, and also agreement. So we're agreeing as um, characters, um, not necessarily... Uh, no, other way around, isn't it? We're agreeing as actors, actors yeah. but not necessarily as characters. Or would you say when you're starting you should agree as with both levels? Um, I think it's harder to get the nuance of that when you're starting. Right, but yeah. I think we sort of teach yes and a lot, but then people don't quite always execute that. Um, I get a lot of yes, but... Also, this thing, which negates it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so those are, those are the things that I always go on about. I'm still trying to think of the best note I've ever been given. Um, do you know what? It's just, it's a random thing. But I think uh, two years ago when I was in Chicago, I got the note, a very specific direction to just in the next set use a different voice for every scene that I was in. That's interesting. Um, and I really liked it. It wasn't like a profound revelation about the nature of improv, but it was a really good... Um, I mean, I needed it because that's not my sort of natural default, but I also just thought it was a really well-given note because it was specific and easily executable. Yes. But would be an extra small step forward towards being a better improviser. And I think a lot of notes are either really abstract and hard to execute or uh, were about something that happened in the past and might not happen again for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I really, um, I clocked that just as a teacher as a really nicely done note. And I try to note in a similar way in a way that's specific and executable yes yeah, so that's so so important and also having the chance to be specific and execute it fairly soon in that class yeah exactly otherwise it gets lost it's like a, well the next time this very specific scenario <laughs> happens you could try that and then yeah i just sort of it gives people license to get down on themselves about their past choices rather than uh, something to actively do next time. Cool, excellent. That's a that's a good note for everyone out there. <laughs> do 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 try that. Uh, so, do you find that um, you find inspiration in uh, books about improv? And if so, what's your favourite book about improv? What would you recommend the listeners read? Um, so, I read a whole bunch of books about improv before I started doing improv which I wouldn't necessarily recommend. Um, I read fewer now. Um, 
I think it really depends on your approach and your mindset. I think there are lots of people who won't get anything out of reading a book about improv and others who will just soak it all up. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, I'm not I'm not sure. I really like Katie Shute's book because it's, uh, just like that note, it's very specific and executable in that it's a syllabus for a 12-week course. Yes. With then also... Uh, sort of side notes about philosophy of improv, but it's never more than a couple of pages. Yes. And then it goes back to actually doing improv, which um, I think it's a learn-by-doing kind of thing, so yes. you can only get so much from a book. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm writing short books to go along with Play Like an Ally and Improvising Gender, um, which will be out in, I think, mid-September. Oh, perfect. Um, they're sort of... They're zine-sized, which means uh, up to 40 pages, you can get them bound in a way that's much cheaper. Ah. So they're, I'm going to just do them as a by donation and then use the profits to uh, put on free improv classes because I think that's really important. So in writing them, I would say that the, the Katie Shoot approach of here are some specific things you can do right now yes. um, has very much been informative. And I think that's the way forward. Yes, I think that's great. Um, I find I do enjoy reading improv books and sometimes it will help with my comprehension in the class. If someone's yeah. explaining something and I'm like, oh, hang on a second, this is like this thing that I read in that book. Yeah. So I have less sort of cognitive load to deal with so I can yeah. be more present because I've already kind of got something that they're, someone's talking about. So, that's, that's, so I would not necessarily grasp it fully on the reading of the book. Um, but it will then help feed into when I'm being yeah. taught or teaching. Yeah, I mean, it's it's common vocabulary, mm. and uh, it, it feels a lot like learning a language, really, mm. because yes. you, you read it, and then you have to go and speak it, yes. and unprepared to just live in it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And um, an interesting thing about reading books when you're very new to improv is that when you then go back and reread them when you've done a bit more improv, they're just, they come alive in a different way. So. Yeah. Hooray for books. Uh, if someone was to step on stage with you, how could they delight you? Oh, um, I love when improvisers are super physical and like touchy and intimate which is a double-edged sword because if they don't know me very well <laughs> there's always that sort of bit of oh did they just grab everyone like that <laughs> so I think my favorite thing is to know somebody well enough that I know I can just go get all up in their business and I'll get up in mine and yes. I know it's completely fine yes. yes um yeah I think if I don't know somebody at all I do kind of like when they're presumptuous about that, although I would never allow it in a class as an outside. So uh, here I am contradicting myself. Well, I mean, um, you're sending out this message so more people will know that you are okay with this. Yeah. But just because you're okay with it now doesn't mean you're always okay with it. No, it's true. Consent is ongoing. <laughs> yeah. How does somebody get consent during an improv scene? Um... Well, I think actually you're joking, but you can get consent during an improv scene. I'm by sort of joking, but I'm sort making of making a physical offer and seeing if it's accepted. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. 
you could hold your arms out for a hug and yeah. see if somebody comes and gives you one. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or you can sort of pretend to slap somebody and see if they react in a way that shows you, yes, I'm paying attention to you, thank you for that offer, and please go ahead and let's be physical in this scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, um, yeah, like, we, for Carmen, we learned a bunch of stage combat as well, so there's lots of uh, slapping and hair pulling and punching and <laughs> yeah, yeah. choking, and um, I think the first thing that you kind of get about that is if there's any danger of you actually being hurt, you're doing it wrong. Yes. So just like a very subtle uh, swipe near the face shows, yes, I know what I'm doing. No, I'm not going to actually hurt you. And if somebody reacts, you know that they uh, also kind of have that vocabulary, which is nice. Cool. Yeah. If you actually hit somebody on stage, I will go nowhere near you because you clearly don't actually know what you're doing. <laughs> yes. Pet peeve uh, of mine. Yeah, no, fair enough. I think that's. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a, it's a good, 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 good policy. So, uh, big, big final question, and what's the signature Stephen Davidson move? What's the classic? He's done it again. He saved the day. He's done that thing he always does. Hooray! Um. Yeah. I try not to do it too much for obvious reasons, but I think uh, flirting and being a little bit dirty <laughs> is definitely... <laughs> it's just always lurking under the surface with me. Um, and I'm very, very careful about what I say and to whom, but like with the being physical thing, as a sign of trust, yes. I love knowing I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you might try a little bit of something that's a little bit cheeky and then yeah. judge how the reaction you get and then... Um, yeah, I would... I mean, if I know I'm going to be playing with somebody, I will always just, like, have a little chat about who's okay with what. Yeah, uh, really do you have idea. a bad back? Yeah, uh, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, Stuff like that is really useful to know before a set. Yeah. Brilliant. Do you have a final message for the listeners of the Improv London podcast? That's really hard. I've just thought of that. <laughs> Um, be nice. <laughs> Pay attention to each other, I guess. These Don't are, make assumptions. Yeah, yeah. These are all brilliant. These are all very so, good messages. Yeah. Thank you for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Bye. I made this. That's improv! <laughs> That's improv.